If you have your Bibles, would you please open to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's awesome to be here tonight. We're going to have an awesome little bit of download from heaven right now. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you that you desire to see Jesus formed in us that we would look like a reflection of your son, not just to you because of the cross, but to the world because of our walk with you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just ask, Father, right now, your Holy Spirit would be just loosed in this place and that you would just go to work on us. That your work, your word would just start to form and reform us as we hear this. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd anoint me and that... You would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians. I do not write these things to shame you. He's just been going on about a bunch of stuff that, you know, they need to clean up on a little bit. And uh, some stuff he'd been doing. Um, I, didn't, I do not write these things to shame you, uh, speaking of his own endeavors. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now, this right here could be taken as a very arrogant statement because what he's saying is, is I've actually birthed you into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Paul's actually saying. He's saying, I've actually birthed you into the kingdom. Now, last week we talked a little bit about what it looks like to be a spiritual son, what it looks like to be a spiritual daughter, what it looks like to be trained what it looks like to be mentored, how you're raised up into your call. I'm not sure if everyone was here last week. I'm, I'm pretty confident that there was a few people not here. So I'm just going to touch on a few things that we went over because it's so important you get the foundation of this. Because, you see, the problem is, just like it says here uh, in verse 15, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So here's the thing. It's so easy to go on the computer right now and find an instructor. You can jump on YouTube and you can find someone that you want to speak into your life. The problem is, is they're actually not speaking into your life. What they're doing is they're shaping knowledge inside of you or they're filling your head with knowledge. They're not actually speaking into your personal life. They're not sitting across in proximity of you and they're not getting to know you and they're actually not pouring into you and going after the strongholds that are actually keeping you down. It's so easy to build knowledge from a distance and then replicate that and try and validate ourselves. You get what I'm saying? YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, our, our world's changed so much than this time here that we just read. This time here, people sat around and like, halls and they would like listen to theologians and teachers and they'd listen to people and they would actually look for what they would call at that time they'd call them like teachers or masters that's why the guys following jesus called him master because they saw him as a master if you go into the asian community they'll call them like like japan they'll call you a sensei that kind of stuff okay because that world there understood that if you were going to be great at anything, you needed to find someone, one of the old grey-haired guys that had been doing it for 50 years, and you needed to become their apprentice. You needed to follow them around. You needed to become an Elisha to an Elijah. 
The problem is today is that people think they can do that through a one-way street forum. People think that they can see an image of someone and that that person can be their teacher. But the difference is, guys, is there's a difference between a teacher and a father. A teacher you don't have to have relationship with, but a father you do. And a teacher, a lot of times in this culture, this generation that we live in, people call teachers fathers. And it's actually very, very incorrect. But what people will do is they will hide behind, oh, this is my spiritual father, this is my spiritual DNA, this is someone that I want to follow. But there's actually no fathering or mothering that that goes into that. A father will climb over your disapproval and go into something where it's like, hey, there's something so dysfunctional where right now you're getting away with it, but in the next season it's going to tear you apart. And we need to talk about it. And it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, there's a risk of rejection there, but it's something that if it's not addressed, and by the way, only love can address that. Because otherwise, why would you bother getting bitten and scratched by someone that you, you, you personally, as a father, why would you do that when you have nothing to gain other than someone else's benefit? You see? So the problem is, is that, so Paul, Paul was talking here and he says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So here's the thing. We are in a generation where there is such strong, there are so many options that it's become deceptive. Can I say it like that? And so what we've become is we've become masters of being islands that when anyone gets close enough, we have been taught enough knowledge by teachers to keep anyone at enough bay where we'll tell them enough, where we know the answer that they want to hear, where they can't get in past our little very sophisticated pin code. And what we do is we keep the ones trying to be fathers as teachers. Well, yeah, I I don't really like, you know, I, I don't really want to receive from you in that area because this is actually the area that I'm trying to receive right now. But here's the interesting part, because if you actually look at any instance, it always has to like relate to nature. Sons don't create fathers. Sons don't choose fathers. Fathers create sons. And fathers choose sons. Because you see, the thing is, is that the day that my sons were born, I was a daddy. But the day that I decided to be their father, they became sons. Does this make sense? So there's a difference between someone birthing you or getting you saved. And that's one of the big issues with, uh, with the evangelistic gift is because the evangelistic gift wants to run around making spiritual babies everywhere, but it doesn't necessarily want to father them. And you have orphans everywhere that have been birthed into the kingdom, but they haven't been discipled. It's one of the biggest problems with the evangelistic gift. That needs to be ironed out by someone who's actually an apostolic father. Make sense? Because if that's not addressed, and that, see, like even on that level, it's like, oh, how dare you speak that? You're not an evangelist. How do you know? You haven't seen me out in the streets for years. You haven't seen me every opportunity. The thing is, is that we've become, and I'm just, I'm addressing that in the room because I heard the thought go out in the spirit realm, if I can say it like that. The problem is, is that we've become so connoisseured in our appetite of what we feed ourselves on and what we don't, that we've become masters of selective absorption of information. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. So what we do is we have the potter telling the, the, sorry, the pot telling the potter that he's wrong. That's this generation right now. So here's the thing. I'm here to challenge your generation. It's called a breaker anointing. 
has come to break your heart of what you thought was right and actually say, here, look, I understand that that's, that's what you think, but let me show you a better way. Let me show you how the kingdom calls it. And it's not that I'm trying to hurt you, it's actually I'm trying to help you. Because unless you're truly fathered, you ain't going anywhere. You'll go through your 20s with zeal, through your 30s with the balance of the momentum of your 20s, and by the time you hit your 40s, you're going to be shipwrecked. Because what you're going to discover is that the zeal that you had in your 20s gets lost when you start encountering the problems of relational and family life and financial issues by the time you hit your late 30s and your 40s. And unless you have true substance and stuff that's been ironed out in your, in your spirit man, in your character, in your emotions, in your integrity, in your character issues, in, the, in whether you've actually built your house on the sand or whether you've built it on a rock, it's going to be challenged. Hello. See, let me just explain something here, because I can I can feel there's levels of tension and uncomfortability in the room, and that's good. I want you to feel awkward, because here's the and I want you to bring this to your attention. If I stood up here tonight and said there is an anointing on my life to make people into millionaires, I just feel like an angel visited me last night, and he's come with this anointing for like this witty idea, and you're just going to get this one idea, and it's going to change your life, and you're going to make millions of dollars. Everyone will be up the front wanting it. Why? Because it's a gratifying thing. It's a gratifying opportunity. But it actually is hard to go through being fathered. Because what it actually looks like is it looks like everything opposite of the control of your buffet of knowledge. And it actually looks like me saying, Benjamin, no, you can't have the Oreo. You need to eat your broccoli. Oh, I don't like that. That's actually control. No, it's not. It's actually the way this book describes it. The problem is, is that unfortunately I've got to break your heart and tell you that the culture has lied to you that you're in. And that's a disappointing fact, but you're going to have to deal with it and get over it and stop being emotional. Okay, because the kingdom is actually not as much about emotions as you might want it to think it is. It's actually about truth and righteousness, life and peace. It's about heaven and hell, guys. It's about you coming into something where you actually become mature. Because here's the thing. Right now, you think that you've got time to get away with it. But the thing is, is that what the devil doesn't want you to realize is that the way you live today will qualify whether you come into the fullness of your call in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Because you're probably more in a season of preparation than you realize. Everyone wants to step up and be seen as like, oh, dude, hey, pull out the phone and start recording me. Did you see that miracle on the street that just happened? Cool. I'm going to build a ministry out of it. We have become a culture that a baby can have a testimony and try and get attention. Dude, I've seen people that are one day old in God, like, have crazy miracles happen. I've seen people that are one day old in God see other people saved. So what? That, that, that's, this is one of the big problems is because we've been taught that that makes you powerful. We've been taught that that means that other people should pay attention to you and, pay, and, and give you notoriety. And that's so wrong. You have to understand... What I'm challenging right now is the very fabric of our culture. Jesus, just, just think about this for a second. Jesus, when he was 14, he set up a YouTube channel. He's like, well, I need to let people know that I'm here. No, dude. The Son of God. The Son of God. He didn't appear out of a womb and breathe his first breath. The Son of God steps out of heaven. He steps off the pearly streets and into a womb. With all of heaven's splendor and majesty, he humbles himself. And he doesn't start his ministry when he was five. 
even though by our standards he could have easily and put every other person on the planet to shame easily but he humbled himself 15 he didn't do it 20 he didn't look honestly let me just take take you back step do you remember when he was 12 and they the uh, Mary and Joseph had gone to Jerusalem for the census count they leave two three uh, I think it was two days into the journey they're like hey dude where's Jesus he's not in the caravan he's not running around with all the kids they backtrack back to Jerusalem where is he he's in the temple talking with the scribes he's talking with the scholars he's talking with the ones that read the Torah every day and he's telling them what it means see in our culture Oh, dude, I just need to flip and launch my Facebook page. I need to go get an opportunity someplace so I can speak and tell them that I've got a testimony. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the prophecy. I've got a story. You better listen to me. I've got value. I've got worth. No. For 30 years, Jesus kept himself back. Do you see the counterculture, what I'm painting here, between today and what we've got now and what Jesus had? It's so different. Because Jesus actually went through, and by the way, put your hand up. If you feel like you're called to ministry and on some level, put your hand up real high. If you feel like God's going to use you, awesome. Okay, so that's everyone in this room. Okay, so let me just let me just help you with something. You are going to have moments where everything from hell shows up to test you. So let me ask you a question. If you try and step out in your own strength, do you think hell's going to take you seriously? Absolutely, it's going to take you seriously, whether you're ready or not. Jesus is baptized like I talked about a little earlier and then he gets taken, he comes up out of the water and and what happens? He starts his ministry because he just had the very voice of God speak out of heaven. Did he start his ministry? No. Spirit led him up into the desert to be what? Tested. Okay, so here's the thing. His father speaks and then the spirit leads him. What I'm talking about tonight, guys, is I'm actually talking about preparation so that you can make it to the end. What did Paul say at the end? He said, I have fought the good fight and I have run the race. He said, I have held it to the end. How many people do you know that make it to the end? That keep their marriages to the end? That keep their integrity to the end? That keep their moral integrity to the end? How many people do you know in ministry? I'm, I'm speaking to people that are called to minister here because most of you put your hands up, so I, I figured I can take it to another level. Is that all right? We're either going to talk about heaven or we're not. Okay, so here's the thing. We're in a culture that you can choose your own instructor. That's fine. But you have to understand that in this, in this culture of heaven, you actually don't get to choose your father. God does. And he'll place that person or that spiritual mother in your life, and that person might not be convenient to you. That person might rub you the wrong way. Guess what? In time, you're probably going to come to learn, more than likely, that the reason that you were rubbed the wrong way was because you had the rough edges. So the problem is, is the 16-year-old... I remember when I was 16, I thought that I knew everything. When I was 21, I thought I knew everything. When I was 25, I thought I knew everything. And you start realizing real quick that you don't know anything. And it's called youthful pride. Because what happens with youthful pride is we get a little bit of a taste, and all of a sudden we start seeing like, the prophetic future of our lives and the greatness of our call and how great we are. You get what I'm saying? Oh, I can see the stages and, oh, people are going to be calling my name and da 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 and I'm going to see millions of people saved. Okay, that's awesome. That's really cool. Awesome. So when the devil takes you up onto the top of the temple and offers you all the kingdoms, what are you going to do? You get what I'm saying? 
not trying to make anyone feel overly intense, but what I am trying to do is I'm actually trying to get us to start looking at the way heaven does it so that we start recognizing something. If you notice, I'm just chipping away at something here. And I'm going to keep chipping away at it until we start to figure out actually that we actually have to divorce our culture outside these doors. Because unfortunately, the culture outside these doors has seeped into the church over the last 40, 50 years and compromised the church. And the problem is, like for instance, let me give you an example. When, when my wife and I moved here to this territory, we came in and we saw a whole bunch of stuff that was completely messed up in the church culture. And when I tried to talk to people about it in the churches over here, people looked at me with this blank stare. Like, what are you talking about, man? Because here's the issue. When you're in it, you don't get it. When you're a part of it, you can't see it. That's why God has to send people in from the outside to call it out. But when you start hearing it making sense, you actually need to wake up to it and say, hang on a minute, I've actually been here in this thing, and I actually need to wake up to this. Let me give you the perfect illustration of what this looks like. Moses was a baby that was actually all of his generation. By the way, he was a deliverer. That's all of you. You're all deliverers. Okay, <clears throat> Moses, when he was a baby, Pharaoh, there was word got to Pharaoh that there was going to be a, a deliverer that came out of that generation. Okay, Pharaoh did what Herod did in the time of Jesus, and he sent the soldiers out to kill all the babies. Okay, but Miriam, who was Moses' brother, with her mother, they put Moses in the little flax or the little reed basket. Remember the story? And they floated him down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter gets the baby and adopts him. Moses. Moses is then raised up in the court of Pharaoh, which was the apex of society, the, the greatest civilization of, on the earth at that time. She raised him as her own son. Okay? And let me see if I can find the scripture here that I'm, I'm actually thinking of here. Give me two seconds. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. We've got to get something here because God's calling every person in this, in this room higher. And if you're watching this, God's calling you higher. And calling higher doesn't mean you're trying to run out into something in your own ability. If you do that, you are going to be taken apart by the enemy because the enemy's smarter than you. And I'm not trying to glorify the enemy, but I'm actually trying to give you some wisdom. Okay, Hebrews 11 verse 24. By faith... Uh, by faith, Moses, when he became of age... Now, just given everything I've just said... When he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, enduring as seeing him who is visible, invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood, lest, he should, uh, lest who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And what I have down here in the bottom of my Bible, which I wrote probably 10 years ago, the key to divorcing the spirit of the world. See, what happened was he was raised in a culture, and then he came to his senses and realized that what he'd become accustomed to was wrong. And in order for him to have to deal with that, he had to humble himself and step down from a royal palace into the fields of a slave. And when he was there, he ended up killing. You actually see the process with Moses because he at that point thought he was ready to step into his call. And what he did was he took his sword and he killed an Egyptian soldier who was beating on, a, on an Israelite slave. 
He thought he was ready because he was youthful. And he was 40 years old when he did that. Raised with all the wisdom of the world. And then he was evicted from Egypt. He was in the desert for 40 years where he had a burning bush experience. And then he came back when he was 80 sent by God. What happened in the desert for 40 years? Do you notice that he was in the desert for 40 years and Jesus was in the desert for 40 days? Deliverer, deliverer. The thing is, is that when you think you're ready, you're probably not. It takes someone that you have to get close enough to and get transparent and vulnerable instead of giving a... I need to be very careful with my tongue here, but you need... (sighs) Instead of giving the token gesture, PC answers start to get honest. You have to swallow this thing called pride and ego, swallow that down, and step down out of the royal court that you think you live in and actually start to humble yourself and start to invite God to work on you through another person. Because if you think that you're going to make greatness and be used by God on a great scale and you're still in Pharaoh's palace but you think that you're out in the call of God because you watch YouTube channels and that you watch you know, different teachers that speak into your life but you don't really have a true father, you're deceived and you won't make it. And that's not me being negative and speaking death. That's just me telling you the truth. The problem is, is we've been so conditioned to anything's possible, and it is. You can do whatever you want. But there is a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, it'll lead to destruction. And so the problem is, is that that's where the enemy will look to take out most of people's calls. That's why the Bible says, guys, many are called, but few are chosen. Don't you understand? The Bible says many are called. When you feel called, you feel the greatness of God's pull on your life. Man, I know I'm called to be a prophet. You know, I know I'm called to be a pastor. I know I'm called to be a missionary. I know I'm called to do these things. I'm going to step out and do it in my own strength. We never say that to ourselves, do we? I'm going to step out and do it in my own strength. We just do it. Because we've been told that we can do anything. And we've been conditioned not to, not to value intimate relationship that gets awkward and uncomfortable. We've been conditioned to believe that the second someone touches something in our lives that's uncomfortable, we run and make them the problem. True? True. One of the things I love about Paul is you actually see on many, many occasions, Paul talks to the various churches, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Corinthians. You can see he's like, I'm sending Timothy. There is no one more like me than him. Do you know why he made that statement? He wasn't trying to blow his trumpet. What he was saying was, Timothy has become my apprentice and he has had what's on me formed in him. And it's not just because we hang out, guys, and get coffee. It's, look, can, I just, can I just destroy a terrible Christian conception? Oh, if I just go to the front of church and just have his, put his hand on me, I'll get his mantle. Oh, if we just hang out long enough... Dude, don't you understand Judas hung out with Jesus? Don't you figure that out yet? Do you really think that God is a fool? Do you really think that he is that much of a fool that you're going to strategically maneuver around the wisdom of God that sees the word of the Lord as like a double-edged sword dividing both soul and spirit, bone and marrow, thoughts and intents? So we think we're real smart hiding what we believe and hiding our sin from, from people, what you're actually doing is saying, God, I want to be in plain sight where 
I show you everything, but I'm actually not going to change. And I'm going to do that to all the people that you've put in my life. That's the very people that, pe- that Jesus got upset with. He looked at the Pharisees and said, you guys, are, you guys are twice dead. You guys look like these, these coffins that have been painted on the outside with this beautiful white paint, but there's a rotting corpse on the inside. That's how Jesus described the spiritual state of people that do that. Because what you're doing is you're making your outside look pretty. Oh, you know, I have encounters with Jesus in my room. I read my Bible and I pray every day. Yeah, and you're addicted to porn. Yeah, and you hate people. Yeah, and you can't turn up on time. You've got character integrity issues. Yeah, you don't pay your bills and you don't work a job. Oh, okay. What's going on? You're always trying to manipulate people. Do you get what I'm saying? See, the thing is, is that this is like really insulting now if you live out of your flesh. I'm now in a zone where you have every right to walk out of this place and never come back. That's okay. I'm willing to take that risk because if you can actually get over your own ego, you might actually be forever changed. Don't you understand? Jesus' ministry looked like I was telling the guys the other day. I said, look, Jesus, he built his ministry in a way that no one here in this generation would ever do. He emptied out his church. (laughs) He stood up. He stood up in one of his major messages, and he's like, hey, listen, guys, don't you understand that if you want to be a part of this, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Everyone's like, dude, this has gone straight cannibalism. <laughs> We're flipping chicken out. You just saw everyone was like, dude, I ain't giving to that church no more. They flipping God. You just saw the masses just getting up and leaving the sides of the mountain where Jesus was preaching. And Jesus turned to his guys, and he, and he said, are you guys going to leave too? Did you notice that Jesus wasn't moved? He's like, oh, what can we do to bring them back? We need those numbers. We need those people. No, he's just like, hey, you guys going to leave too? Real cool, come and collected. Peter looks at him and goes, no, where can we go, God? Where can we go, Jesus? You alone have the words of life. Don't you understand? The truth will hurt you and offend you, and those that can hang on over that offense will actually make it, and then they will be the ones that God raises up and shakes the world. That's why Paul was like, nevertheless, not I live, but Christ that lives in me. Don't you understand that you are a dead person walking? It is not, I am crucified with Christ, so it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Don't you understand that you don't don't have any rights anymore? We've been taught that we have a whole bunch of rights. You don't have rights. You have been purchased. Don't let the Christian culture of today uh, water that down. You have been purchased by a king from another kingdom. You are his property. Now, he loves you, and he wants intimacy with you, but he paid everything for you. You are free. He wants you to worship him with a free will. It's not a slavery situation. It is a relationship. But you have been purchased. You're crucified with Christ. That means that when someone flips you off, you don't have the right to go and tear them apart. You don't have the right to go you know, plant your fender into the back of their car. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be servant of all. But at the same time, it goes beyond that. You can't go any further than where you are today unless you decide to be genuinely vulnerable. And you need to, to, to slap yourself around the face a little bit and say, I'm going to stop fooling everyone with my token gesture answers and I'm going to start getting raw and honest. If you're full of hate, be honest about it. What could go more wrong than you being honest? Because once you've been honest, there's nothing that can actually mess with you anymore. The, the reason that, you haven't, that you've decided to be honest is because you're afraid of what people are going to think. And in the process of doing that, you've decided that it's better to be bound than be free because of what people think, which is really pride and ego. 
That's why it's awesome when people come to me and say, man, I'm flipping messed up, I'm broken, this is going on in my life, I've got an addiction or I've got a major sin issue or I've got this thing that keeps happening to me. I'm just like, first of all, I respect you. That's the first thing that's happening right before we talk about anything. I respect you and I value so much what you've done because I've just seen your desperation push you over the edge where you want freedom more than anything. And I, and I honor your humility. Don't you understand? Because someone that's prepared to do that is someone that God can use. The reason that Judas sold Jesus out was because he wasn't honest about what was going on in his heart. And he played the part. Don't you understand the same as, the same as with, you know, we see, speaking of fathering, you see Elijah and you see Elisha. And Elisha wanted what was on Elijah so much that he chased him and he followed him everywhere and he ended up getting his robe and then he struck the water after Elijah had gone up in the chariot of fire. The water parted and he had this crazy double portion on his life. Remember? Well, in his life, he had a servant that followed him too. And his name was Gehazi. Gehazi was actually someone like Judas who was close enough to be around him. Because see, the thing is, is that when you truly are walking with something, there's always people that want to have and they have an attraction to the gift and the power and the anointing on your life. And you have to learn to discern between who's for real and who's wasting your time. Like, I feel like God's spoken to me about that on a whole other level just recently. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, okay, who's, who's serious and who's playing games? Because I need to start figuring out where I'm investing my time. Do you want to have two hours of my time and mean it, or you want to have five-minute conversation and be shallow? Because I ain't mixing those up anymore. <laughs> Jesus was real quick to sift people out. Rich young ruler, hey, man, I really want what you've got, Jesus. Awesome, cool, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor. I'll be right here waiting for you. You know, I can't do that, Jesus. That's, you don't understand what you're asking me. Fine, cool, done, awesome, be blessed. It really comes down to, are you serious about the kingdom or do you want to play flipping Barbie doll house? Come on, there's destinies in this room that are awaiting and the only thing that's maybe in between you and that destiny coming to pass is your gumption and ego. A little bit of, a little bit of your pride getting put to shame and you deciding to be vulnerable and honest. Because can I tell you this? You need a father more than a father needs you. You need a mother more than a mother needs you. Oh, they just want to control me. Why? Why, why would they want to control you? Give me, give me one answer. There isn't an answer. Why do I want a son? Because I love him and I want to see him grow. He's got some little issues that you can just see as, like Benjamin, you can see his little sin nature popping up here and there. I don't even know where he found that. It's just like, it just showed up in him. It's like, I don't even know where you learned that little trick. That's freaky. It's just in you. The Bible says that hell is bound up in the heart of a child and a rod will drive it far from them. Don't say that. Well, the Bible says it. You're going to have a problem with that. Take it up with God. The thing is, is that you've reinvented because of the culture you live in, what God's supposed to look like. And you're wrong, and God's right. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm not afraid to stand here and challenge and be a little controversial, because if you can just cross the line, you can come into something. Otherwise, what will happen is your excitement and your zeal about Jesus today will not last past your, your dysfunction that appears in the next five to ten years. It won't. Because your circumstances, you will have trained yourself to keep these things secret and you will have isolated yourself to the point that when the, the true trials of, of life kick in, there's going to be a compromise. And because you've already been compromising all this time, you're going to compromise. It's just a law of percentages. You have trained yourself to compromise. Come on, let me just encourage you. Don't be a Judas, be a son. Let me encourage you. Don't be the foolish virgin who looks the part but doesn't have her oil filled in her little lamp. Come on, who, who here is called to take the nations? Who here is called to, to, to see people saved, to see people healed, to see people raised up? That's the stuff we need to get to, right? And guess what? You can walk in that stuff today, but that does not validate who you are. You can walk in that stuff right now. I told a story last week. I said, listen, you know, I was 20, 
I want to say 21, between 21 and 22, and I was totally backslidden partying with my friends, and uh, I was, I was uh, coming home from a party, I think it was between 3 and 4 in the morning, and I was in Burger King getting a burger in this place called Newmarket, and this dude who was already in there eating, he wasn't part of the group I was with, he literally fell off the back of his chair and died. Backslidden, eating a burger, dude dies, he goes green and then he turns purple. He's not breathing, he's done, he's been gone for 20, 30 minutes, the smell of death has come out of him, he's, he's exhaled everything, he's ex- exhaled everything. And I walked over to him and I had the fear of God in me because I knew I wasn't right with God and I put my hand on him and I said, Jesus, I'm not walking right with you right now but this guy really needs you, please help him. It's, it was that simple. It wasn't one of these great evangelistic prayers. If you get raised from the dead, you need to give to God for the rest of your life. It, was, it wasn't one of those moments. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't me standing up on top of a bar trying to build a ministry out of it. It was just broken, backslidden dude crying out to God. And that dude just sat bolt upright and sucked in a huge volume of air. And he put his hand on his chest and looked up at me because it happened within a few seconds. And he looked at me and he said, someone put their hand into my chest and squeezed my heart. Dude, don't try and tell me that your miracles are a validation of your maturity. That's For me personally, that's my story that I always just default back to because it's like, well, it's great you've got your stories and they should be following you. But what about your character? Can people see that? Because if people see you raise the dead, but then they see you drinking and partying and doing all these crazy things and posting pictures up on your, on your social media and you look no different than them, they're going to look at you and say, you are a hypocrite, you're worse than us. Don't you understand that? This is what the Bible says. It says that you should avoid even the very appearance of evil. What is the very appearance of evil? Them recognizing that you look just like them. Because the second they do that, you have lost all credibility. Don't you understand? And that, look, for me personally, I can go out and, and I can have a glass of wine, I can drink beer. I don't have a problem with those things, but I do have a problem with those things because if me doing it causes someone not to receive eternal life because if they see the way I behave, and even if I'm doing it in moderation, they see it. And they think this dude's like just like me. And, and the one moment that I get to, to share Jesus with them, they write me off and then they spend eternity in hell because I think I had liberty. But you see, the thing is, I've had to learn that. Just because you can operate miracles and signs and wonders and you've got a gift and you, you've, got a, you've got a speaking gift that can, that can evangelize people and preach and you can do this, that and the other. Just because you can do those things, but you haven't learned to walk in the character. And sometimes... A man thinks he's right in his own life, but his neighbor comes and searches him out. Sometimes it takes someone that can see things that you can't to come and say, hey, what I'm about to say is going to be really uncomfortable, but I need you to listen to me. But see, that takes a decision beforehand that you're going to be humble. Come on, somebody. What I'm talking about right now is not a shout me down, clap me happy sermon, but it will actually cause you to make it. Because here's the thing. I want to raise up people that when I'm dead and gone, you're still running faster than ever. You're ferociously running towards the gates of hell to pillage it. Come on. This can't be about a preacher that gets people excited. It has to be about the word of God that changes lives and causes maturity to come up where, like Paul said, I labor over you till Christ Jesus is formed in you until you actually start looking like something that hell's afraid of instead of you blending in with the world, trying to be relevant because that's the latest Christian fad. And you've got a couple of testimony stories that make you passable. And you can become passable to both worlds. Listen, for me personally, I'd rather just be 100% offensive to hell. 
Honestly, I would, I would rather be 100% offensive. Why do you think they crucified Jesus? Do you think they crucified Jesus because he was relevant? This is what the Bible says about Jesus. It says Jesus learned that the Son of God who stepped out of the streets of gold, Jesus learned by the things he suffered. So if it was that's for Jesus, what's it going to look like for me? And by the way, I'm still on this journey. I still have people that I value and I will value for the balance of my life that speak into my life, that fine-tune me, that go to work on me. Who do you have? Because you can be here, you can be close to me and Bex or Jeff, and you can hide in plain sight, and we know it. Don't think we're that stupid, honestly. <laughs> Just because I'm not prophesying over everyone and reading your, your social security number, don't think that I ain't got discernment. Sometimes I don't say the things that God tells me on purpose. See, sometimes we think we're real smart. That's fine. I'm not going to. Here's the thing. This is what Jesus did. Did you notice with Jesus that he never forced anyone to follow him? He never tried. To, he never begged one person to come, right? Not one person. Not one. Even the rich young ruler. Oh, dude, this is a really. This is this dude's a millionaire. He could finance my ministry. I need to make give this guy an exception. Nope. You get the same as everyone else. You don't want to come. Done. It's over. Oh, that's ruthless and not fair. Well, you go take that up with Jesus. In your opinion. In your critiquing that you've got from all your YouTube channels and your discernment and all the maturity that you've acquired from your knowledge. You're wrong. Deal with it. Uh, this, is, this is the stuff that people get upset and walk away. I don't want to be around this kind of stuff. That's the truth that'll set you free. Straight up. And that's why I'm not... Uh, look, honestly, that's why these seats aren't all filled. <laughs> because not, not many people want to hear the truth these days. These, these seats are going to be filled. I'm not worried about that. But if we can get this in this room, this thing can start to get strong. Because instead of it just being a few people that are serious, everyone starts to get serious and then a roar starts coming out of us. Come on, every, every person in this room is going to make it. I'm not trying to separate anyone or segregate anyone. I'm not trying to single you up. But what I'm doing is I'm just crossing a line getting so flipping provocative to your issues that you actually say, you know what, I'm done hiding this. I'm done being close enough and hoping no one notices me. I'm done, you know, giving the token gesture answers. It's time I got raw and naked and unafraid. Because you were made for greatness, but your dysfunction will keep you from it. And it takes someone to draw the greatness out. But in order to draw the greatness out, the dysfunction is going to have to be cut out. I've had it many, many times. I will continue to have it many, many times. I'm not speaking to you from a place of theory. I'm speaking to you something I live. If you notice... If those of you that have been around long enough, I haven't changed. My zeal is just like a freight train, and I plan on getting more and more intense. By the time I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, I want to be going at three, four, five times the speed I'm going now. Why not? Oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to settle down and jump into a rest home and go around this Christian fellowship. Look, you can keep that. I'm going to burn bright and hot as long as I can. I'm going to raise up as many sons as I can. Because I understand that if I can replicate a hundred sons over the next few years, we can literally set this place on fire. But the thing is, is this generation despises fatherhood and it needs to get over itself. You need to deal with your fear. You need to deal with your independent spirit. You need to deal with your relational dysfunction. And you need to deal with your pride. Oh, praise the Lord, Pastor. I'm just loving this message. My butt feels like chicharronis, just all crispy. I'm loving it. Now, honestly, look, honestly, I'd rather singe the flesh off and actually have purity come out the other side than, than tickle your ears and have you halfway end up in hell. Because honestly, that's, that's honestly where we're heading. That's why the Bible says many will say in that day, Lord, Lord. See, the problem is, is that we've become so highly opinionated of our achievements of what we think that we are worth and how important and valuable we are that we've actually lost 
the importance and the value on the people that we actually need to be pulling from. Make sense? Okay, now watch this. This is just a good check for all of us to, to actually look at. Oh, actually, let's just go from verse 12, verse 1. Therefore, also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. That right there is a challenge that should almost haunt you every day and provoke you to do better. Not into striving of works, not into performance, but into actually going further after God and further away from who you used to be. That's why it says in, um, uh, uh, I think it's Matthew, it's either Matthew or John, chapter 3, verse 30, it says, it's John the Baptist speaking, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. That should be the mantra of your life. My funk needs to leave and people need to see Jesus when they talk to me. They need to hear him when they talk to me. Okay. So let's carry on here because all of heaven, the, the, the cloud of witnesses, by the way, is all those that have gone before you in heaven. They're all watching us. They're all recording what we're doing. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. That's the stuff we're talking about tonight, the character issues, all that stuff, the sin, the habitual stuff, the bondages, that, even just the wisdom and integrity stuff, the discretion stuff, the stuff that's going to cause other people to despise what you're saying. You can have some really awesome stuff and then you can go and, like for instance, let me just give you an example from a business point of view. You can have the best product and you turn up to some big CEO's office and you're here to present this amazing product and you don't have discretion and you say something that's halfway insulting to the guy and the guy kicks you out of his office. You had something really good to offer but you didn't carry yourself well so he asked you to leave. This is exactly what I'm talking about here. So until you have someone to train you on how to behave, you're not going to have discretion and not know how to honor people and not know how to be wise and not know how to walk with wisdom and, and understanding what you have and the value that you think you have in your gift is actually just going to be worthless. It's actually going to bring disgrace, shame, and dishonor. So anyway, so let's just carry on here. Verse 2, looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That also looks like fathering. For the joy set before you, which is the dream and vision of the talents and the things and the, and the calling that God's put on your life, you have to walk through the cross, the crucifixion of your flesh, despising its shame. Because there's a shame in it. You have to despise it. You have to separate yourself from the shame, which really looks like you humbling yourself so your ego isn't there to be, to be provoked. Okay, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Verse 4. For you have not yet uh, resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now watch this. This is what I want to focus on. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Oh, I thought who the Lord loves, he blesses. Well, apparently not. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. The problem is, in our generation, we've figured out how to take one scripture and make it our, our, our logo. This is, this, is, this is our statement of faith. God wants to bless me. Well, he wants to bless you with some chastening. <laughs> because he values the outcome more than your present condition and your comfort and your approval. And we all squeal, kick and scream, but the reality is he actually come out better on the other side. Jesus learnt by the things he suffered. Think on that for a second. doesn't record it. It just tells us a statement, but he must have suffered a whole bunch. 30 years of preparation. The Son of God didn't even... Take a, take a main stage entrance for 30 years. The most qualified person that has ever walked this planet to minister, ever. 
and he stayed recluse. See, when he came to the, his first miracle at the wedding, Mary already knew the power he was packing. She'd been watching it for a while. He just hadn't come out of the closet with it. He hadn't tried to build his little ministry with a couple of stories. Jesus came to present the goodness of the Father, but actually one of the most common statements that came out of his mouth was repent. Anyway, so I'll leave that right there. You can just think on that with wisdom and your discernment. So, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. That's, that's a real big one. Because, see, the thing is, is that we're doing so good and we're all, you know, puffed up like little spring bunnies and we're all excited. And it's like, oh, God's got plans for me and he prophesied over me. I'm going to be an evangelist to the nation and this, that, the other. And then God comes along and it's like, yeah, you need to just be quiet. Because you've got a big mouth and you like to speak too much. You like people hearing you. You like the sound of your own voice. And God, you just like, here's the thing. Can I just tell you something? You actually really need to hear God correct you. It's nothing we want to hear, but you need to hear it. But I'm going to say this. If you won't let a human being correct you, you will not hear the voice of God correct you. Because what you're actually doing indirectly is saying to the person that God's put in your life, yeah, no, no, I don't want to hear it. You're actually saying it to God. You guys are so soaked. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Well, that's not very uplifting, and that's not talking about the love of the Father. Actually, it is. See, the problem is is that we've actually defined what we believe to be the love of the Father. But right here, this book's telling us that the love of the Father is actually there to chasten us as well as encourage us, as well as give us life and future and purpose and all the good things. And scourges every son whom he receives. Who saw the passion of the Christ? Who saw the passion of Christ? Remember the section when Jesus was tied to the post? One of the, like the, the part that's like, I don't care how much of a tough dude you are or how much of a tough girl you are. Like the second you see Jesus and those first few whips start happening and there's just blood just spraying all over that courtyard, you just start, you start welling up. And then by the end of it, you're like, ah, Jesus, you did this for me. Yeah, that's called scourging. Scourging is not whipping. Scourging was with a cat of nine tails and the cat of nine tails actually had bone, metal or shell or stone in it. And it was like little jagged hooks, and it would be whipped into the flesh. It would actually literally drive into the flesh, and then it would tear out. So literally, they, they judging by the 30, uh, 39 stripes that he took in his body, they said that you should have probably been able to see all his vital organs. It would have just taken all the flesh off. You would have seen all his kidneys. You would have seen everything. There would have just been big gaping holes. So when the dude drove the spear through Jesus' side, he probably knew exactly where he was putting the spear because of what he could see. See, they just won't show you that in the movie, and this is uncomfortable to talk about, but this is the kingdom of heaven. Scourging looks like your flesh, your flesh, chicharones, getting taken off. Not very pleasant, is it? But so that you can be revealed as a son and walk in wisdom and integrity and good character with a refined spirit and then see heaven break out in crazy ways, worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Worth it. Seasons of chastening, we've learnt to divorce. Oh, it's getting uncomfortable here in this, in this group, in this environment, this church. I don't like the way they call you out all the time. It's like they're trying to punish you. Oh, I don't like that particular preacher. I don't like the way he just gets in your world. I just feel like God's beating up on me right now. I just don't really know if I can just do life with God right now. I think I'm going to check out and just go live like a devil. Oh, I don't think it's fair what happened in life right now. I'm just going to have my opinion and I'm going to have a little tantrum about it. You're all wrong. God's right. <laughs> Look at Job. Job's life was so messed up 
that we would have been calling like, you know, we would have been hiring the dudes to have the protests on the side of the road to protest against God over Job's life. Little stop work meetings. Okay? But the thing is, is that you'll actually find the integrity of Job was not compromised in the fact that he'd never once complained against God. You can question. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a difference between the stuff that lasts and the stuff that truly becomes something. Because when we see other people and like we see people growing in gifts or we, we watch these teachers and we watch people that we don't have relationships, you don't see what they've done in their lives to get there. You just see the story. You don't have any idea of what it took, the cost, the price, the tears, the pain. You just think, oh, this is awesome. I can just receive it and step into it because there's, a, there's an inheritance anointing here. I can, just, I can receive it. You're wrong. Because if you think you can step into it, what you're actually doing is saying, hey, hell, come do an audit with me because I'm ready to take on you at this level now and you will be pummeled. Do you understand that? When I took, when I took the role of leading this church, we, we started this church, like hell notably went to another level of, of intensity over my life and it's just there all the time. But it's taken me years to become conditioned to deal with hell on that level. Now, I'm not here to glorify hell. I don't talk about it too often in that regard. But I'm worshipping Jesus. And his presence comes and, and, and fills my world and hell gets put to flight. But there's times where I have to deal with hell. Like Jeff was telling a story to me yesterday. He talked about David Hogan. His son was getting literally physically attacked when he was a little boy. He went deaf one day over the course of, what, two, three days? He went deaf on the, like, the second day. The first day he had a literal hand, an invisible hand, grabbing the kid and like tearing his side. And another, on the second day, they had um, like an arm grabbed into his arm and it was lifting him almost off the ground. And he went fasted for five days. Look, you have to understand, this is, a real, this is real stuff we're talking about here. David, went in, David Hogan went and fasted for five days and God tells him, yeah, there's uh, warlocks that have come up against you because of what you're doing. He steps outside out of the house. It's on the fifth day. God didn't say anything to him fasting for five days. When your son's getting made deaf and, and, and literally having like claws in his side, you think that it would be more important, right? Wrong. God's in charge. We're so entitled that we've missed heaven. That's why it says in the last days, many wouldn't endure sound teaching because we think we know what we're supposed to be believing. So it's getting rejected. This is, this, is, this is just truth here what I'm talking about. It's inconvenient, but if you swallow it and you eat it, it'll actually change you. He steps out of his house... And there's a flipping warlock on the other side of the road waiting for him, already knew that he was coming. And he just, in the name of Jesus, goes at it and pronounces the blood of Jesus, and the dude takes off running. You think you're ready, but you can't even govern your own bedroom. You get what I'm saying? I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm trying to call you higher. But the way higher is lower, and it actually is done through relationship. Okay, so with that, I'm going to close. There's so much more I want to touch on this because I actually feel it's a very, very important topic that's hanging over this territory in this church right now. Because you can choose to be the Christian that just sits in church and does the token gesture, ticks the, tick the box thing, or you can be someone that runs after God with everything you are. And that actually looks like relationship. Jesus set a model that he had guys he poured into. Don't you understand? Jesus had been with Peter for three and a half years, and Peter's cutting dudes' ears off the night Jesus is getting taken away. And Jesus is rebuking him. Peter, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Puts the dude's ear back on. Which was the more important lesson? The miracle of how to attach an ear again or telling Peter not to live by the sword? You tell me. Anyways, God's invited you into a relationship and not just with himself, with those that can actually teach you and train you.
so that you walk worthy so that people can actually receive what you have to say and that actually your gifts won't be disqualified. Paul talks about it. He says, I have to live a certain way so that after preaching, I'm not disqualified for the ruination of hearers. You don't want people to do that. Anyways, let's just stand to our feet. We're going to close in prayer. By the way, if anyone needs healing in their body, I invite you to come to the front. I really felt there was like a, an anointing for healing miracles tonight. I'm not in any way taking away from miracles. I'm all about it. I want more, more and more miracles. But here's the thing. If we just major on the miracles and we don't major on the character, all you're going to seek is the loaves and fishes. And then when, when the sayings get hard and Jesus starts calling out hard stuff, you'll be hitting the road, Jack, right? So I'd rather talk about the stuff that matters than, than tickle your ears with the next great story. Make sense? God's looking for sons. He's not looking for colleagues. You're not as equal. I'm not as equal. He's looking for sons. Amen. Father, right now, we just thank you that you are calling us out of our dysfunction. You're calling us out of the place we're in right now. You're calling us out of hiding. You're calling us out of independence and isolation. And you're calling us into relationship with fathers, with mothers. You're calling us into a season, Father, where you are looking to refine us. And I just thank you, God, that you will grace us with humility that you would cause us to walk in humility and that you would cause us to have more of a desire for the truth than our own comfort, God. In Jesus' name, help us, God. I ask right now, even in the name of Jesus, that you would put us in situations where we have to get desperate, God. You'd put us in situations where we have to be honest about what's going on behind the scenes, where we have to be honest about what's in our heart, where we have to get to a place where we have to seek out help from those that are further down the road. And get transparent, maybe for the first time, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I just bless everyone here tonight. I thank you that you call them son, that you call them daughter, God, and that you love them so much, God, that you are challenging all of us tonight, myself included, that we need to run deeper into this thing called sonship. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray, Father, this would be a house of discipleship. And it would be a house where, where not, not just gifts are replicated, but that character and integrity and wisdom and understanding and discretion, Father, would start to multiply and be poured out from one generation to another. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of every spirit that would be trying to keep things bound. Every secretive spirit right now, every egotistical spirit right now, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of those things. Every clicky spirit right now that doesn't want to look bad in front of its friends, I break the power of that demon. In Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would just pour out just barrels of fire all over this place and just set us uncomfortably on fire. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Listen, if I can just add to the last thing that I just said, you know, one of the, one of the fallouts of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned was that Adam decidedly chose to hide. And he chose to make himself separate from God instead of running to the Father. He ran from him. He said, I was afraid of you, so I hid. And I covered myself in a way where I thought I'd give myself some temporary dignity, and it actually made a bigger mess. And that is part of the problem, why we want to hide our stuff. And, I mean, this is the, this is the superficial capital of the entire world, I think. Honestly, when I came here, I almost threw up in my mouth every day. Sometimes I still struggle with that. I'm just being honest. 
How are you doing? Everything's great. And in the spirit realm, you can hear Holy Spirit saying, it's a complete mess. <laughs> it's true. Oh, everything's great, you know. The kids are doing awesome. Marriage is great. Job's good. Here, Holy Spirit, they haven't got any money. Yeah, we just bought a new car. Haven't got any money. What? What's going on, God? Like, we have become so broken. I mean, honestly, even from a fathering point of view, who's taught you how to take care of your finances? This is part of fathering. Some people with fathering, I'm like, hey, bro, let me help you. Here's $3.50. Go and invest in some deodorant. That's fathering. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Some of you are like, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. (laughs) It's true, though. We've got three kids right now that poop their bums. And it takes a parent that loves that person's that person so much that they like my wife does most of it. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not here to take any credit. My wife's a miracle worker. It's amazing. But you know, taking a taking a little a little wipe, little wet wipe, and getting a fresh diaper and wiping that butt down. It takes love. Because here's the thing parents are actually there to go to the places that are uncomfortable and are disgraceful at times and show love and dignity and cover. But unless you give the parent the ability to get to a place where you are so vulnerable that if some, the problem is, is we have trust issues. What if this person betrays me because someone else betrayed me? Listen, are you going to use that excuse for the rest of your life? Is that really going to be your excuse that you're going to click as your final answer? For goodness sakes, call a friend. Ask the crowd. Do something. You need to get past your ego because, because only a parent can get to the place where it's like something so awkward and uncomfortable but I still love you anyways, and I don't see you any less. I actually see you as so valuable. We need this, guys. We need to get past all our superficialism, all of our keeping people happy, all of keeping up appearances, keeping up with the Joneses. All of that crap needs to go and burn. And we just need to be humble sons and daughters of God. If you're doing badly, be honest. I'm doing real bad right now. My finances are all dried up, and I don't know what to do. Could you please pray with me? You know what you've just done? You've invited the actual grace of God that's going to provide for you. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I need the grace of God. How about you? See, the thing is, is the very thing that we know that we want and we need, we're too ashamed to do. And we need to get over ourselves. Stop using fig leaves to make yourself look good. It's not working. (laughs) Some of you got that fig leaf anointing. It needs to go. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to pray for some people now, but... God, help us. Help us cross this line, God. Help us deal with this thing in our throat and just swallow it and move on. Come into this next season of being open and transparent. That we would trust people, God. If we've been hurt by people in the past, God, heal us. If we've been broken by people's trust, God, heal us. And give us fresh faith in Jesus' name. Amen.